Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, which I am delighted to announce will be our happy place today, even with Turf Moor in the offing, because this weekend Fulham picked up three points in the league at Goodison Park for the first time, well, ever. As new boy Josh Madger grabbed the headlines with a brace on his full debut, one of several Super Eagles in SW6 soaring into survival sight. The Goodison curse is broken, the winless streak is snapped, smiles are fully back on faces, although this is just the start if the Whites are truly to pull off the remarkable. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. We did win after all. And to pay homage to his Madge's miracle on Merseyside, I've gathered up some wise men for the epiphany breakdown. Not the three kings, wrong Josh, but it's our very own Magi. And first up, I'd like to give a huge welcome back to a man who has set the gold standard in much of the Fulham media down these years. A true face down the cottage, his highness of the hammy end. Mr. Daniel Crawford. Welcome back, mate. Thanks, mate. Been uh, on the sidelines longer than a Scott Parker substitute, but it's good to be with you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Joining in, we've got the bastion of the Basque bounding in from Bilbao and probably the only man on earth who noticed that Madger's moment was struck in front of the Uskal flag. The Professor Ben Jarman. Yes, Jack. Upper Escadi. Let's go. Basque Country Independence 101. (laughs) <laughs> and everybody's favourite warbling wordsmith, a man with more pictures poured out in his prose than Tolkien. It's our very own Cameron Ramsey. Big up, lads. I'll try to match that energy as the uh, show goes on. I hope so, Cam. I hope so. Uh, before we get into three-word reviews, Ben, it's worth me pointing out that this pod, well, it's now brought to you by The Athletic, and there's arguably no better time as a Champions League week to get involved with their football coverage, which goes into another level with European nights on the menu. Till February the 25th, new subscribers can pick up a half-price annual subscription, less than £1 a week for an entire year. To redeem that limited time offer, go to The Athletic dot com forward slash Fulham pod that's the athletic.com forward slash Fulham pod but back to our own happiness Ben what were the best of the three word reviews no there were some absolute bangers out there this week so many puns uh, I love it so many Nigerian references so let's start with actually let's start with today's host Jack J Collins with Super Eagles Assemble uh, then we had uh, Alistair Nimmo with some Valentine's Day magic uh Patrick Brown's Tragic to Magic made me laugh quite a lot. Uh, Josh's Magic Moments from Joe Grimmer, who I assume is Jack Grimmer's brother. Uh, and then uh, Charlie Mitchell's Read It and Weep, which was excellent. He uh, he hyphenated Read It as well. Uh, so uh, I was going to say, that's definitely four words, but we'll, uh, nah. we'll get away with it. Um, Dan, it's a big win of that, there's no doubt. And perhaps just as importantly, though, it was a commanding and controlled performance as well, similar to that against West Ham, but with some end product this time round. And I mean, just can't overstate how big three points that could be. Oh, it's massive, Jack. And um, I do think this was coming. You know, Parker has taken a fair few, um, t- taken some real uh, a program from from the fan base and wider over various points during his time in charge. And I think a lot of people were resigned to the fact that we were going to lack punch for the remainder of the season. But you're right, this was a commanding performance. We weren't kamikaze in the way that we we went at it, but we certainly set our intentions out there um, from the off. And 
you know, at half time, I think everybody would have been justified in wondering whether it was the same old story. You know, we're very impressive from box to box, but sort of fall apart in the in the final third. But you know, fair play to the boys. They they kept going, and we found a way through. And what was most impressive about it for me was how we managed the game once we were in front, because. Everton really didn't do anything in, in, in the final third. And I don't think that's because they were uh, woefully below par, although they weren't good. Um, we controlled it right the way through. And I don't think you can understate just how much of a confidence boost that is going into two more absolutely massive games that I know we'll get to later. Yeah, and Ben, just on that kind of point, I thought it was worth pointing out that you know we've seen four at the back twice now in a row. Uh, against for between West Ham and and yesterday against Everton and it's been two reasonably controlled performances where Fulham were in the ascendancy over the course of both games and controlled the game weren't overrun in midfield and you know we talked a lot about Parker learning lessons adapting you know over time and we were a bit frustrated with the five at the back over, over various things especially in games that we thought we control and is this maybe a a vindication that Parker has seen that now and started to, to move towards a system that allows us to to have more control in the middle there. Yeah, you know, I think Scott has finally seen sort of like the wood through the trees and that he's realised that we were under so much pressure in the middle of the park with that two-man midfield. It was putting us under so much unnecessary stress in the back line that oh, I think what that double pivot he, he's got in front of that defence is really starting to work now. There's sort of chemistry between Reid and Lamina that, you know, you didn't really see with uh, Reed and Anguissa. And as much as I am definitely in the, the Zambo Anguissa fan club, I think that introduction of the L- Lamina Reed pivot has been really good for Fulham. And I think actually that what we did at the start with that five at the back was to stem the tide. And I think what we're doing now is trying to build on those those blocks of being solid at the back. And as a, a lot of you would have seen today, the stat going around that the only team that's conceded less than Manchester City in the last 10 weeks is is Fulham. So Clearly, something the tide is starting to change for Fulham, uh, defensively at least. But now it's about capitalising on those moments. And as I'm sure we'll talk about through this opening part of the podcast, we capitalised on so many. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real turnaround from us. And Scott, again, proving that he can adapt to everything that's around him. It just may take him a couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cam Harrison-Reed mentioned there, talk to me, what player? Oh, man, come and, come and chat to me when you find a midfielder as complete as Harrison-Reed at this level. You know, he's... He's really, really uh, made made such a huge difference to the solidity of our of of, of our spine, um, especially with Anderson and Tosin just behind him, him as well with uh, Lamina. You can't really fault it. It it just seems so solid and um, really really functional as well. And uh, no, I thought he stifled um, Tom Davies quite nicely yesterday and uh, didn't allow the curated license to express himself too. And um, it's it's just testament to the guy's work ethic. You know, he's still five foot nine. He's quite a slight lad, um, but he overshadowed overshadowed Everton's midfield department um, dramatically yesterday, and um, was without a doubt a ten out of ten showstopper. But he regularly pushes out, you know, solid eight out of eight out of five performances. Anyway, he's he's never really has an off day, and um, it's not a question of. Is Harrison Reed a starter? Of course he is. It's who 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 pairs up next to him every single week. And from what I saw yesterday, I have to agree. I thought I thought Lamina was um, was it was a nice complementary kind of uh, factor um, alongside him. And I think I think Zambo's got a huge huge task ahead of him if he's going to 
um, you know, wedge, wedge himself back into the starting eleven because it just works so well. Cam makes a good point there, Dan, that we talked earlier in the season. It seemed that Reed and Lamina were the two players that were in the rotation. But, you know, Harrison Reed has has very much made the case over recent weeks that he is the undroppable player of the three, you know, despite the fact that he is probably of the three, the, the least well-known and the least experienced at this level. Yeah, um, he, he's first name on the team sheet at the moment. Um, I hate to, to correct Cam, but I think Harrison Reed is at least 5'11". Um, nah, no I would, chance. He's, I w- he's my height. I wouldn't want to take any uh, any inches off him. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 and I think as well, he, reputations don't always count for everything in the Premier League. You know, Reed's progression as a as a Fulham player has been outstanding. Um, he's sort of as sad as it is ushered the uh, ushered towards the end of their Fulham careers two absolute legends in in Johansson and McDonald um and he's only grown in the way that he uh conducts himself on the field I thought it was interesting uh afterwards Parker spoke more about what he adds on the training grounds Monday to Friday than um the performance that that he that he put in Uh, and there are plenty of players with real leadership potential in this in this first 11 what I would say is we know what he can do without the ball and how crucial he is, as, as Cam pointed out, in stopping the other side from playing. But when you're affording him the space in which to operate, he's one hell of a passer um, as well. Mm-hmm. And he added real dynamism in the final third last yeah. night. Very unlucky not to score. Um, yeah. And we've been missing some of that. So I think, you know, there's a tendency to pigeonhole footballers into that's a defensive midfielder. He's a box-to-box midfielder. He's a creative midfielder. And actually, Reed's a lovely blend of everything. Um, and he's really been the shining light as this team has evolved, as, as you were speaking about um, uh, a little bit earlier, Jack. Yeah, and, and Ben, I think that's probably a really interesting point in that actually when you look at this pivot, in a lot of people's heads, I think Harrison Reed is the six, right? He's the defensive midfielder. And I know it sounds a bit weird to pigeonhole players like this. And Dan says there is a there is definitely more to it than that, especially with the amount that, that Harrison Reed can do. But actually, it tends to be Lamina that sits a little bit deeper and dictates play. And Harrison Reed has more of the kind of dynamism that you expect from maybe a, a player like a N'Golo Kante, right? In that there is always this thing that N'Golo Kante was a six, but actually he's He's not really. He needs a deeper line player to play alongside him who controls the tempo. And what N'Golo Kante then brings to the table in the way that Harrison Reed does is energy in all of the thirds. He pops up in the in the right places now in the final third. We saw him very unlucky not to score yesterday. And mm-hmm. there was a point made about the fact that he hasn't scored for Fulham. But I think that's probably a matter, only a matter of time if he continues to be utilising the role that he's currently being used in. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I, I think... There is structure to Fulham, but it's structured. Uh, I was going to say it's structured madness, but structured madness is probably like a Bielsa team. This is this is structured progression for for Fulham, in my opinion. And I I don't think you'll find a midfielder that can take the ball on the back foot and launch attacks as well as as Harrison Reed. And I think that's one of the mo- his most outstanding attributes is his ability to spot a pass um, and to be able to understand when to intercept a pass and and when to when to push on. And I think. Yesterday, we saw huge gaps in that midfield um, at Goodison Park, and he owned every single inch of it. Every single blade of grass was was Harrison Reed's there. 
yesterday and and I think we saw all the good qualities of him coming out his circulation of possession was great his reading of the ball excellent the tackles that he provides is is also great um sort of recycling the ball out wide causing the overloads we saw all the best bits of Harrison Reed yesterday and it's it's been coming I think there is I think there's a small camp out there that might have said that Harrison Reed's one of our most important players, but may have been playing a little bit within himself, just purely because the previous five at the back system was sort of holding him back slightly, I would say, because you're overrun so often. It's very, very difficult to get all your greatest attributes in there. The more time and the more space you have, obviously it's much better. And I think, as I said on Match of Day yesterday, when you get players that have so much time, sometimes they really have no idea what to do with it. But Harrison Reed is completely the opposite. He thrived on having that much time and that much space. And I think we saw, as I said, all of his best attributes coming out. And and he's turning into a midfielder that, for us, is an undroppable asset. And for Southampton, it looks like a bad decision for them to sell. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with Romeo injured for, for long periods this, of this season. And it not just working out quite nicely there for them. So, you know, struggling. But... Can I take it onwards from our midfield dynamo to the combination down the left of those Super Eagles? Uh, Olaina thrown in at left back. A lot of questions about him being a permanent left back, him being a little bit more useful there than we've seen him at right back. And actually, uh, us seeing the best of him, obviously, plays there quite a lot for his country. Adamola Lookman then in front of him and, and Josh Madra in the middle. And it was three Super Eagles combining for the first goal that, that, that gave Fulham the lead. Well, yeah, I quite like the look of uh, Olerena at uh, left-back as well. He obviously has a really strong connection with Lukman and uh, has an eye for an assist too, which we found out yesterday. And uh, it, can only, it can only bode well in terms of international prospectus for them all, really, to have them in that kind of close contention on the pitch so they can all express themselves and work and bounce off one another. Um, you know, going back to the whole conundrum of who is our best left-back, uh, I like Anthony Robinson as a progressive player. I like him going forward. He's somebody that puts a lot of um, a lot of energy into his, you know, forward thinking and advancements. But I also think defensively, he's somebody that's maybe a bit naive, and his over exuberance in certain situations has opened the door for opposition to get in behind him, despite the fact he's got the pace to make up the yards and put hard graft in where he needs to get back. Uh, yesterday, I think I, I think Ola. He performed outstandingly and, uh, you know, progressively and defensively, he just seemed like he was in command and he didn't really give, uh, he didn't really give James Rodriguez or Richarlison when they, when they alternated any time or space or respect on the ball. Um, and it, it just goes to show that once, once he's comfortable in an environment and a system that does actually work for him quite well, he's a very, very useful player and, a well-rounded player too, because he's used to playing as a winger. Sometimes I know Torino, he's been used there. Um, but likewise, as, you, as you've already pointed out, for for the Super Eagles, he's you know he's he's an accomplished left back. So moving forward, I don't I don't necessarily think that the system needs to be tink, tink, tinkered with again. Um, it isn't broken, so it's the old adage of don't fix it, um, especially if it's coefficient and. Um, there are connections and their understandings along along the left channel, and I, I personally think that we should we should persist with um, Aina at, at left back just for the time being because yesterday was an outstanding example of why it works basically. 
Yeah, uh, Dan, I mean, uh, it came, seems a bit mad that we're having a left-back debate without one of our left-backs in it. Um, but we're having a left-back debate about someone that we, we weren't really sure was going to be playing very much there, considering Joe Bryan and Anthony Robinson uh, are both sort of natural left-siders. But, I mean, it gives Scott Parker a, a, a vaguely welcome headache in that he has options on that side now, but a headache nonetheless. Oh, look, you've got to love the fact that um, he's got three options at left-back where at the start of the season we arguably didn't have any um, any options rather than, rather than, uh, rather than any players. Um, the th- so, so I think Brian's injured, or at least Parker alluded to that in the, non, um, the non-broadcast section of the post-match press conference last night. Um, but it's clear, you know, we know that... Um, but both of the but Brian and Robinson are a little suspects defensively. We know that they're offensive uh, fullbacks very much in the in the modern vogue. Um, and Einer has has played a, a left back um, for the unfortunate squatters down the road um, for <laughs> for Hall City for Torino and for um, Nigeria. What I liked about that last night are two things. One, when he got in those advanced positions, he hit the byline and he put on put over those elusive low crosses. Pullbacks. We haven't seen one of them since Ryan Fredericks left. <laughs> I know, pullbacks know, uh, FC missed them so much. Well, we seem to have um, we seem to have retired them. <laughs> on our sort of shows what something like that can do. Put it in the six-yard box and uh, and see what happens. But I liked that he was willing to go beyond uh, Lookman with almost without reservation. And I and we'll get probably get to this. But I liked that Lookman was operating as a as a winger who who ventured out to the touchline and and stayed there and dragged. Uh, Everton's players out of position. We know that he likes to to get get at the fullback and, and and make hay. But sometimes I feel like we lose a bit of that that strength that we have out wide because our wingers venture too far in field too regularly. You know that had a nice little um, set of combination play about it, and it clearly has potential. But the the beauty of uh, of having those three options that, that we spoke about earlier is you've got the opportunity to mix it up depending on the opponent. You know, we'll get to Burnley and uh, and other teams later, um, but some games are going to demand um, something different. And I wouldn't discount uh, Aina as an option or also reprising that role he played as the as the third centre back, where I think he'd been excellent. Um, after a bit of a bit of a shaky start in Fulham shirt, but you know, very positive signs uh, there that we can only applaud. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And and Ben, perhaps we should probably get to the goals because we haven't really <laughs> talked about them very much. But I think it all comes from the fact that Fulham seemed more willing. Fulham seemed more willing to take risks yesterday. You know, we we saw a Fulham side who were willing to, like Dan says, hit the byline. Were willing to take a player on. Were willing to get the ball across six yard box and Josh Madger was willing to to take the risk to try and get on the end of it and did so twice and and in doing so announced himself as as the kind of Fulham hero for the next era although that's a lot of pressure on my man's shoulders well that's very true I, I think there's a few things that stood out for me almost straight away yesterday is that the the adaptability and the flexibility of the team was really good to see but obviously it's it's structured and it's clearly been coached in by Parker and, and the team over the last couple of weeks. And obviously, as we said, we transitioned to a four the last couple of weeks. But what I wanted to say is that when we we were creating overloads down both channels, 
the left again much more effective than the right hand side but what you saw was the support of of Aina going around Lookman or, or cutting inside of Lookman and then having the link up with sometimes Madger, sometimes Bobby Dekodover Reed, sometimes Ruben Loftus Cheek, creating those triangles to isolate players um, in areas of, you know, I think what you'd say in threatening areas where, you know, players don't want to be caught and isolated with very little help. And I think Fulham did a great job of isolating players like Luca Dean yesterday. And, and I know you'll hate me for saying this, Jack, Seamus Coleman. Um, they they were clearly attacking the fullbacks who in Everton system are quite often left without much um, support. Yeah. But I think um, what happened like going to the byline as Dan rightly said it it causes a lot of trouble always because you hate that ball inside corridor of uncertainty and I know I sound like football cliches now but as a defender you you really do hate it um, and I think Madger um, as you say had had such a positive impact because he was constantly on his toes he was constantly looking for scraps and I think that that is what you would define in the sort of Oxford Dictionary as a striker's instinct, you know, someone that's going to play off those little knockdowns, someone that will, will follow up and follow in as you're always told to do as a little boy, you know, when you're playing football or girl, you know, when you have those shots on target to always follow up on the keeper and try and get those tap-ins. And I think his mobility around the third, but also having that instinct gives Fulham a whole new dimension. I think that the more and more he becomes embedded in this team, the more and more we'll get out of just Madger. And I feel like uh, I'm eating my own words because I wasn't really that set on him joining us uh, on the last day of January. Yeah, Cam, I, I want to take that to you. And, and I think you look at the second goal. We've lacked someone who's who's taken that chance, I think, a couple of times this this, this year. And I think when Bobby Reid hit the post early on and no one could, could force home the rebound, it felt a little bit like same old, same old from Fulham. But Maggio following up that Harrison Reid shot and being in the right place at the right time was a, was a breath of fresh air in itself. No, nail on the head. I don't know whether it was a case of having that killer instinct, but you've, you've already alluded to it. It was just being in the right place at the right time, and that's exactly what a striker should do. You know, they, they need to, they need to be camped in those central areas between the sticks and uh, to snap up any loose loose balls that come their way. And um, you know, it's a huge confidence boost to Madger as well. Uh, it was a it was a true bagsman's brace. He he doubled his uh, tally for the season. I think he what he got two goals in seventeen appearances for Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, two, two, two goals in 73 minutes is not a bad return on your first start for your new club as well, let's face it. Um, and what I like about what I like about Madger in particular is he's kind of like a he's kind of like the perfect mould between Mitro and Caviero because Mitro, his USP, of course, is the ability to hold up play constructively although he lacks mobility severely. And Caballero, yeah, his attributes as a leading striker aren't necessarily the most refined or even, you know, sufficient enough to to warrant himself a starting place every week. But he is athletic. And I saw a lot of that in Magic yesterday. He was coming deep to retrieve possession. He was trying to incorporate himself into, you know, these nice little neat triangles, as Ben as, as Ben mentioned as well. And I, I just think he's, he's, he's a good constructive player as well as he is a you know, a a very beneficial target man too. And especially for this system of which we play, which, you know, it it, it tandem so much on having the ball on the floor and working those opportunities, those neat little sequences in and around dangerous little pockets that he can just drift in and out of almost like a a BDR in in a sense when he's playing up top. He, He likes to come and look for those dangerous little pockets and gaps that he can just influence the game game within 
And I, I, I really think that he's going to bed himself in nicely. And it's still a work in progress. It's still early days for the lad. But uh, this, this will do his confidence the world of good. And moving forward, he's only going to go on strength to strength for me. Absolutely. All right. Well, there's more questions about all of these players in the question section. We're going to do that after the break. So stick with us. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast with me, Jack Collins, Ben Jarman. Yes, yes. Dan Crawford. Hello, mate. And Cam Ramsey. Evening. Evening. It's uh, question time and we've got a load in. So I'm going to run us through them as best we can. And I'm going to start this one for you, Dan, because it's, it's quite a tricky one. And, uh, you know, you are an accomplished uh, accomplished member of, of the Fulham media world. So it feels feels right to, to give you a, a tough one to start with. Thomas Ryland Jenkins says, it seems like we actually play well, quite well, without Zambo and Mitro. If we stay up, would it be better to move them on for decent money? Zambo being the highest return, so we could comfortably afford to keep Anderson, Ariola, and possibly drop another 20 to 25 million on a top player. Uh, Fulham are staying up. Uh, it's a it's a bold call. Blimey, you weren't kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm I'm reluctant to to start auctioning players off, especially uh, in the case of Mitrovic, who's been one of our most consistent performers um, in, in in his time at the club. We know what Mitrovic's skill set is. There's no one else who can do that do that job. And if you get him. Uh, a regular supply line um, and you have him leading the attack. He's a nightmare to face for Premier League defenders, international defenders. Um, anyone, Everyone goes through a, a, a crisis of confidence uh, at some time in their life. Uh, his is right now. Um, and the club needs to support him because he's dragged us out of plenty of holes uh, in the past, so no, I, I wouldn't uh, be be asking for offers or entertaining offers for Mitrovic. I, I feel like there's another period of his Fulham career to come. Um, and Guisa, again, uh, there's potential in him massively. I, I would also say that uh, you've got a you've, you've potentially got a COVID issue um, with, with with Frank. He's certainly not looked as uh, powerful and energetic. Um, since our own coronavirus uh, outbreak, and, and frankly, you know, if we stay up, we shouldn't be looking to sell off um, key players in our of our of our squad or, or our first team. I think that issue arises if the worst happens, and actually, we're we're looking at a far tougher rebuild um, in, in the championship. But no, I wouldn't jump to conclusions about either of those players. I still feel like they've got a big part to play in helping us climb the table. I think it was a very measured and reasoned answer that Daniel. And, uh, Unu- and unusual for me, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't know where it's come from, but uh, but I'm I'm glad of it. And I mean. On your point there, uh, Durst Derpington asked a question, Ben. He said, hmm. so to follow up my last question from last week, it looks like our attacking plan is overlapping fullbacks and our high press. Could we see Mitrovic as a second striker like Zamora and AJ, or can he hold that high line like Scott wants? I mean, going 4-4-2 is, it would be interesting. Um, I'm not sure it's what, what we'd need in, in every game, but it, w- it, w- it would certainly well add something to the mix. Well, if you looked at how we were out of possession yesterday, we were four four two more often than not. So, I've, I think we kind of are setting up to be a two banks of four team, especially out of possession. But uh, as you say, we are pushing very, very high. And as soon as we are back in possession, we are definitely four two three one. And 
the way we're going out of the traps, it's almost as if we're, when I say out of the traps, I mean into the press, it looks like we're operating 424, which is really weird. Um, so I'm not really too sure how Mitrovic comes in as a pressing forward. If we were more in control, for example, and wanted to hit the long ball in and have someone to hold it up and then to play off of, yeah, I can definitely see that working. But it seems like we're going to be a little bit more on the back foot these these next few games as, and then try and press high um, and win it back higher. I, I also felt like yesterday we saw Madja hold the ball up quite well. So... It is very. It's a very difficult one. I, obviously, I wouldn't want to be Scott Parker. I know that sounds like a very easy answer to give, but I don't really see Mitrovic coming in and working in this system at the moment. But you may think I'm wrong. No, not necessarily. I, I think it, I think it's an interesting thought that, and especially for for trying to mix things up. If, if Fulham are chasing a game, and we've seen Fulham be quite poor chasing games, Cam. You know, we we, we very rarely win from behind. Um, and and so having options like that where Fulham could, you know, perhaps go with a big man and, and Madger running off him suggests that, that, that Fulham will have different ways of mixing things up as we go forward, which is a good a good problem to have. No, it's true. I mean, we always need that alternative in case things aren't necessarily going our way of the structure and the uh, approach which we're implementing at the moment. And I've always I've always envisioned a little and large partnership anyway with Mitrovic incorporated up top, potentially with BDR even running off him. Madger could do the same job as BDR too, just to collect those knockdowns and to pierce through, you know, back fours and defences and to have Mitrovic just kind of ghosting in off those runs and hopefully picking up something. But yeah, I'm the same with the same sentiment that Mitro isn't a spent force. He's somebody that just needs to find his confidence again and needs to work himself back to a standard of which we know he can reach. Um, he's certainly got his work cut out, much like Anguissa has if he's going um, he's going to crowbar his way back into the midfield. But it's the same conundrum for the big Serb as well. You've got players that are scoring goals, even Caballero is, and obviously BDR's our top goal scorer. And he's, he's really been a shadow of himself since Leeds United. So he's got a huge, huge point to prove. Um, but I certainly wouldn't discount the notion of him, you know, being shoehorned into a kind of makeshift 4-4-2 or, you know, even just playing up top by himself with somebody drifting around as as, as that kind of false nine kind of player and um, just being a nuisance for defenders and maybe distracting them so you've got the more intricate players to get in behind. He's still got that in his locker and that skill set available to him. So who knows? But at the moment, I wouldn't necessarily change anything with the way that we're shaping up and the way that we're approaching games and hitting hitting teams on the counter with our transitional um, formations and compositions. He just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting couple of questions here from from various people, Dan, um, about the way that Fulham are using youth slash setting up for the bench, right? And I think if we look at yesterday's yesterday's bench there's a lot of defenders on there and so we've got questions from joe kent who says considering all the attacking players that left in january such as cabano and kamara at what point can we re- realistically see the likes of sylvester jasper and fabio carvalho break into the matchday squad or is it too early for them is it still and where is zambo said why does scott pick every defender in the squad for the bench but refuses to pick one of the young attackers surely the likes of carvalho jasper or stansfield would offer more than having reem hector adoy and congolo now I think this is perhaps most interesting because last week after the Harvey Elliott 
settlement was agreed. We saw Scott talk about the academy and talk about the fact that he wants to bring youth in and he wants to to give youth a chance. And I'm not one of these people who thinks that chucking Jay Sansfield at their problem is, you know, is going to give us an answer. I don't think that I think we saw from when we threw Stevie Humphreys in a couple of years back that just chucking someone in who's scoring goals in the youth setup doesn't often work. And and I think even more so in the Premier League where there there are so many hurdles to cross before you before they make that jump. But there is a point here that we have exceptionally defensive benches and with the lack of attacking options. And and with the regard in which the club hold the likes of Jasper and Carvalho, you know, in particular, the two statements don't necessarily add up in that we're seeing Scott talk talk up a big game when it comes to youth, but we're not even seeing these players near the match day squad. Yeah, I, I, I don't think Parker's statements are that contradictory in the sense that um, Fulham were very disappointed to lose Harvey Elliott and they certainly weren't happy with Liverpool offering you know, seven hundred and fifty thousand for his services as a as a starting point for for negotiations. Um, and, and there's an argument to say even the fee that we've got, which could rise to about four four million, four and a half million, is paltry for a player of uh, Elliot's potential. Um, you know, the the question mark is always when do you play these young players and how do you bed them in. And the worst thing you could do, in my mind, is throw in a group of young players into a struggling side, um, yeah, because you could lose, you could lose, uh, you, you could ruin their careers. So you've got to handle this delicately. Um, the three players that people mention are all really interesting case studies in, in, in development, and I say this right now: there is no greater admirer or advocate for Hugh Jennings than I. Right, he has completely revolutionised that Fulham Academy. They've established a pathway that has actually brought through the highest number of talents from the academy into the first team for a sustained period of time, probably in Fulham's history ever. Um, and all, and many of them have had had great success. But you've got to do this very carefully. Let, let's just, if you'll indulge me, just take these three players in um, mm. in. Uh, in in some detail, at least. Um, both Carvalho um, and Jasper have had limited first-team exposure for the moment. You've got to remember that they're still very young themselves and are playing up an age group uh, if they're featuring for the 23s or, or on a regular basis. And while I wouldn't want them to just become regular players in the under-23s, because I don't think that, once you're used to it, um, it, it is aspirational enough for, for, for talented young players. It is a good breeding ground and they do need more football. There's an argument that them playing regularly at that level for a little while is better than warming a Premier League bench just, you know, just to, to, just to um, pay lip service um, to the academy. In the case of Stansfield, he's a terrific goal scorer. He's better than just a pure goal scorer. Um, but he's exceptionally raw. He's coming off a serious injury and he needs some time to to play football. The final point that that, that you mentioned, and I'm taking them in reverse order, or one of our questioners talked about um, packing the bench with defenders. You know, I'm not all that surprised. That's what Parker does, because if we're a goal up, he loves to bring on as many defenders as possible and protect his lead. You know, that's just 
the way we we are. Even if he had, you know, five forwards in his first team setup, I'm still pretty sure there'd be four defenders on the bench. Um, the the evolution of how you get these young talents playing more regularly is one that you have to wrestle with because the pro, the you know, every manager in our position. Uh, in the Premier League is petrified of losing games and therefore losing their job. And it's a sad reality that experienced Premier League managers will pick experienced players over young talent every time, um, if only because they're concerned about their their own future prospects. But I don't think there's any time, to, this is any time to despair about that. These players will get their, their opportunity and you've just got to do it carefully because if you remember the, the very sad case of Kerim Fry a few years ago, yeah, um, yeah. he didn't really kick on from a very bright start in the manner that uh, Fulham expected and all parties have indicated that they probably handled that quite badly in terms of aiding his future development. So sometimes not playing people is a smart decision um, to give them more time on the training ground and to give them um, greater acclimatisation to that first team environment. There is obviously another thing here, which is they're swapping bubbles to come into yeah. the first team picture at the moment with yeah. coronavirus. I'm not sure yeah. that everybody's aware of that. The Fulham youth team trains at a different facility and plays at different facilities at the moment. Um, so there are added complications with just throwing them in one weekend and taking them out another weekend. You know, I'm sure if we all sat down with Scott, he'd want to involve those players, but it's just a bit complicated at the moment. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a really good point and one that probably wasn't considered by a lot of people. Um, in the sad case of Karen Fry, as you say, uh, FC Emmen, where he now applies his trade, are bottom of the Eredivisie with zero wins from 22 games. So, yeah, I think it's probably fair to say that things haven't quite gone to plan uh, for a player of his ability. A couple more questions and then we'll move things on to the Burnley game. Uh, ben, this one for you. What would you do with Anguissa? Uh, says Sam Lockhart. It feels he's more of an individual than a team player, unlike Lee, Reed and Lamina, which I think is potentially a little bit harsh. Um, but mm. there is no doubt that, uh, you know, as Dan mentioned earlier, the the knock-on effects from COVID seem to be affecting him, you know, as much as anyone. Um, and we haven't seen the best of him since then. So it's actually, we were saying it might be time for him to get a rest. He is finally getting that rest. Yeah, I think there's there's been a lot of contributing factors to Anguissa's form dropping off a slight cliff. Um, as you said, COVID-related issues and then being rushed back quite considerably um, as one of the, the stronger options for a run of games that were really tough and also a lot of sort of uh, Saturday, Tuesday or Sunday, Sunday, Wednesday games, um, which in a two-man midfield with that short of a turnaround uh, in the middle of a pandemic, very little options to replace you is going to be very, very difficult, even on the most experienced of players. So I think um, being a little bit harsh on Anguissa, is a little bit undeserved in my in my opinion, um, but I think he's he's a, a wonderful asset to have when you when you're in control of a game uh, and when you're sort of like maybe one or two nil up to have his ability to take away pressure to hold the ball um, to shield the ball and to use his body well I think that's always going to be a massive plus coming off the bench. Um, I mentioned it a few podcasts ago. He is one of Europe's best at terms of dribbling out of of danger. Uh, dribbling out of pressure uh, and I think when you're a team like Fulham and you're going to hopefully get your nose in front and want to going to keep it in front then you're going to need a player like him to sort of take the weight off off of the defenders and as adept and uh, and as good as 
Tosin and, and Anderson have been, every defence needs some sort of shield in front of it. And I do think that Anguissa does offer that. His, his tackling statistics are also very good, as as well as obviously his, his uh, offensive statistics. So to have someone on your bench sat there of his ability and his potential, and as another uh, questioner said earlier on, his sell-on value is a massive plus for Fulham, in, me, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one for you, Cam. Cody Gerrard says, on a scale of one to ten, how likely is it that, including yesterday's game, we could take 12 from four? If we perform like we did yesterday in all four matches, more likely than not, yes? I mean, this is <laughs> it's a hell of a statement. Um, it would be my first thought on the matter. But these games are against Burnley, Sheffield United and Crystal Palace. They're the kind of games that Fulham need to be winning if we are going to to get us, claw ourselves back into survival contention. We've seen Ben Mee ruled out of the Burnley game. And yeah. I can inform you that as we are speaking, John Egan has been stretched off for Sheffield United. Now, I take no joy in this because I love John Egan and he is a countryman of mine. Um, but... It, that will be a significant blow for Sheffield United's defence this weekend. There are lots of things happening that the occasional things at the moment, injury-wise especially, seem to be falling a little bit in Fulham's favour. Yeah, I'd agree. It just seems that all of the uh, right things, as unfortunate as they are for our opponents, are working out well for Fulham, of course. Um, after beating Everton 2-0, it's a massive coup for us and... As we've already discussed in length, you know, we can only channel this in the right way and move on as as a club, but not get ahead of ourselves too. And as much as I'd love, you know, uh, I'd absolutely love, you know, nine to 12 points in the next couple of games, I don't necessarily see it happening. I still think we're going to go out and we're going to have an air of caution about us. And we've got to take these teams seriously around us too. You know, Burnley have pulled away from the uh, chasing pack relegation wise. They had an absolutely fantastic win at Crystal Palace as well, with Matt Lowton scoring a worldie, um, a worldie with a volley. And they're, they're, they're a team which, you know, we, we, we find it difficult to play against, I believe, especially at, especially at Turf Moor. And um, they turned us over in the FA Cup as well, despite the fact we had a weakened squad. They still they still flex their, their relative dominance against us. Um Sheffield United. Uh, I'm not keeping up to date with the with the scores as we record the pod. But no, they're two nil down, mate. They're 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 done. They've lost to West Ham pretty much. So so they're done out. Nice one. Um, well, we can we we can sort of maybe look at that as more of a free hit out of the games coming up. But I still, would be very very cautious and wary of what they can offer, and uh, especially against a team like Fulham, which are also struggling for that winning form, despite the fact we obviously had that third victory of the season. We're consistent in the fact that we just love to draw and we love to, um, you know, consolidate those those performances where we should really be going out and uh, claiming the three points. And Crystal Palace away, I was there a couple of years ago, obviously, last time we were in the Premier League, and it was the worst oh, performance God, yeah. I've ever seen um, from any so Fulham sides. It, it, mm. it, it, was, it was full of dejection and... I'm just happy that we don't have Cyrus Christie in the squad because I nearly jumped on the pitch and punched him in the face. I'm sorry to say because he was <laughs> awful. Um, but again, they're, they're another team which is struggling for that form and consistency at the moment and being turned over by a club like Burnley. Um, that's got to play heavily on their mentality too. So I'd like us to get, I'd like us to get maybe six points out of the next, you know, three to four games. Obviously, after after the string of three games we have coming up, we have Liverpool away and Man City at home and then Leeds United at home. And Aston Villa away after that, you know, there's there's no easy games in the Premier League, but 
the cluster of games immediately, these are ones that you really need to be turning the screw and making something happen. And I, yeah, just to answer the question in, in long and short, you know, nine points, 12 points, no, six or seven points, definitely. And I think that'd be a great return. Yeah, I mean, there's no easy games in the Premier League, as you say, Cam, but right now going to Liverpool looks like three guaranteed points. Dan, <laughs> how many uh, of those three games, though, Burnley, Sheffield United, Crystal Palace, what would you be happy with? Oh, we can win them all. I'm not, um, you know, look, if you ask me to pick three games that are, that are winnable uh, out of the remaining fixtures, those would be them. And, yeah. you know... I would want to be if you if we're looking at a total if we're looking at a total of nine points that's magnificent you know you could reasonably look for for two wins and a draw um, we've got to try and try and replicate that performance last night because if we play like that we will not only beat the teams around us in in short order we will pick up points from teams who are far more accomplished than our next three opponents and that therefore starts giving you um, more options to play with when, when you're when you're looking at our survival prospects all i would say it's a horrible cliche so i won't use it but um, you've got to try and play each individual game. It's dangerous yeah. to start looking ahead and thinking, yeah, we'll beat them and then we can go and beat them. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, look, the focus absolutely has to be on Burnley. It's another horrible place to go to in many respects. Um, and, <laughs> and we have a terrible record there. And let's just make sure that we're professional, we're switched on, we're ready for the very different type of football that's going to come our way. We fight for it and we can match them on a footballing level because we absolutely can show our quality and, you know, disappear with three nice points in our pockets. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, we're going to come on to Burnley now in a second. But just before we do, uh, last question from Isaac Menso. I want yes or no answers from each of you in turn. He says, our kit looks significantly better with black socks. Agree or disagree? Dan? Yes. Ben? Yeah, just vibes. Cam? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a clean sweep. Clean sweep for black socks, Isaac. You are spot on. Right, we'll be back after the break to talk all things Burnley. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm Jack Collins and I'm joined by Ben Jarman, Dan Crawford and Cam Ramsey. Just before we start our preview of the Burnley game, uh, it's worth pointing out that while you're listening to this podcast, you could also help everyone else out by doing the Fulham Supporters Trust survey. And just so happens I have a man who knows more about this than me on the pod of me. So, Dan, the floor is yours, my friend. It's a dangerous proposition you've given me there. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we'd really appreciate we'd really appreciate your help with filling filling in the Fulham Supporters Trust survey. Um, I should say I'm on the board of the Fulham Supporters Trust, which is the organisation of Fulham fans, democratically constituted and elected to represent fans' issues. We meet once a month with Fulham's decision makers, including Alice McIntosh, to discuss. Uh, issues of concern to to supporters uh, and pose questions from the fans. We do an annual survey, and this month, this year it covers many topics and gives you an opportunity not only to talk about Fulham-related issues and club-related issues, but also 
issues that the trust should be raising and how we could do more to represent Fulham fans. It should take about 10 minutes. Um, and there's an opportunity to win a signed first team shirt. So you can own a shirt signed by all Goodison Park heroes. Uh, and that's not a sentence anyone has ever used uh, in, conjun- <laughs> in conjunction true. with Fulham before. Um, we'd really appreciate uh, people taking the time to, to fill it in and indeed getting involved with the Fulham Supporters Trust. You can join on our website. It's really easy. Um, so we look forward to to hearing from you and I'm happy to answer any questions on or offline um, about the trust if people want to to pose them to me. Thank you. Very good. Um, yeah, the link to the survey is on our Twitter if you want to find it easily. Um, and with that, let's move on to Turf Moor, which has been anything but a happy place for us in recent years, Ben. Yes, uh, the last time we went there, we lost 2-1 and Burnley didn't have a shot on target. So if that sums up a great day out, I don't know what does. So uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a very, very tough game for us against a team that have really started to pick up points and form recently. And it always felt sort of like a foregone conclusion because this is what Daesh teams have done. They seem to start a little bit slowly. Uh, and as soon as they get their backs up against the wall, then it's time for them to turn around the results and... Uh, they start climbing the table and it, as Dan said, it's going to be a game we're going to have to fight for every single scrap, every single ball um, and hopefully win that fight and come away with those three precious points. Absolutely. Cam, how would you change things? Would you change things? Obviously, it's, as you say, it's, it's a little bit hard to to look at it and think, oh, we should mix things up because if it's broke, don't fix it. But equally, this is a game within three days of having played a quite high-intensity game at the weekend. Might need a little bit of rotation to freshen things up. Potentially, but I also feel that continuity goes a long way, especially when you're trying to build that form anyway. Um, and we've got to go to Turf Moor and impose ourselves against a football team that aren't really a football team, in my opinion. They're more of a, a glorified rugby team that just uh, tend to kick the ball every now and then. I don't really rate them at all, but they just get the job done. Um, we can still go out there and um, give them a run for their for their money proverbially and make something happen. But I wouldn't necessarily change too much. I still think that this squad... It needs to bed itself in to a winning mentality. And if that means keeping the same personnel out there, despite the fact that they might get struck down with a little bit of fatigue or tiredness or whatever, I, I, I genuinely wouldn't I, I, I wouldn't necessarily do too much because like I say, I, I just think we need to we need to carry on in the same vein and uh, keep keep the good times rolling. Keep the good times rolling, indeed, from one sad place to another. Uh, Dan, you're not, not a massive fan of Burnley yourself, but um, it, it's a, a fundamentally difficult task ahead, even without Ben Mee. Oh, look, I, I've got plenty of... I've got, I, I'm a fan of Burnley. I just haven't had great personal experiences there. Not all of them uh, Fulham-related, but we'll, we'll move on from that. Um, <laughs> they're... Uh, they're uh, they're a different footballing side to 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 warm to Cam's theme, um, but they've got some quality performers. I'm I'm interested in the uh, in how the midfield battle is going to going to shape up. Um, we should know all about Goodmanson. He was on our books uh, as a youngster. Uh, Westwood and Cork in the centre. You know Jack Cork, son of a son of a Fulham hero, and Dwight McNeil on the left is a very tidy uh, performer. 
They know exactly what they've got to do to trouble teams. They're exceptionally well organised and very disciplined. And this game will tell us an awful lot about whether Sunday night was a flash in the pan or whether we can sort of unlock some consistency that we're going to need to um, keep our survival bid on track, really. Um, we, as I say, as I said before in my sort of slightly irreverent preamble to the wrong question, um, we we absolutely need to show some hunger and desire um, and earn the right to play our football at, at Turf Moor, which we haven't done often enough uh, in the past. You know, I can only remember one half decent performance there when a peach of a pass from Chris Baird found Bobby Zamora and we came away with a point. Um, you know, these are the games where we need more than a point. So we need to match Sunday night's application um, and, and quality. And if we match Burnley's physicality and we don't do anything stupid at the back, then I do think our, our football will create chances. We've seen that over over, over the course of several games recently. Um, and we've got some firepower up front now. So, you know, I'm optimistic about ending another barren run, Jack. Um, yeah. And uh, and that's very good considering where we were a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, cursed season is over. Um, it is the time for breaking taboos. Ben, would you bring Angisa back in? I'd be tempted to bring Angisa back in. Um, no, actually, I don't. I, I think I'd I'd quite like Lamina in there just because I feel like the ball is gonna. It's well, to to quote Cam. <laughs> a glorified rugby team so going to be the ball's going to be in the air quite a lot and I quite like his sort of influence in calming the ball down uh, and circulating it and as you said earlier in the podcast Jack he sort of gives Harrison that that freedom whereas Anguissa is the other way around and Harrison sort of has to take care of him so um, I, I, I'd, I'd go with uh, Lamina and Reed. if it ain't broke don't fix it Okie dokie um, well all of those things in so i'm assuming that it's a uh, no changes from anyone and uh i'm going to take your score predictions because why not uh dan you could start us off here two ones fulham come on you whites cam i'm going to go for a clean sheet with fulham and i'll go for two nil or josh made your brace again <laughs> we're just going to win every game for the rest of the season 2-0 with a Josh Look, Madger if, brace if, we, if, if that's what we've got to do we've got to do it all right give josh Madger the ball he will score <laughs> what about you wavy jobs uh, I'm going to go uh, zero one to Fulham. Zero one to Fulham. Excellent. Um, well, that's pretty much it for this episode then. And Ben, I'm going to throw it to you to name it before we close the door. Uh, in in honour of our prestigious host and oh. chairman of today, we're going to name it Super Eagles Assemble. Oh, thank you, Ben. You're very kind. You're very kind. I'm, I'm, off, to buy a, I'm off to buy a Super Eagles shirt now. So. Um, yeah, there we go. I did. I was very pleased to have one in the collection when it all came when it came right yesterday. I was also a little bit. It was one of those where you're like, "Well, oh, can I get away with wearing this?" But now that that Fulham are actually just an extension of the Nigeria national team, I feel much more um, okay <laughs> with, with 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 donning my Super Eagles shirt and um, and and repping the Niger boys. So yeah, it's uh, it's been good. And with that, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Dan Crawford for for coming back and and bossing it as usual. Dan, it's a, it's always a pleasure, but it was. It was lovely to have you back on. It's good. It's been great, mate. And uh, I haven't two-footed you too much this time, have I? 
No, I, th- <laughs> I think we've left our uh, our debates, uh, our kind of strongly worded debates in the past, mate. It's um, we've both grown up, perhaps. You never know. It's been a, it's been quite a while. Speak not for fully, yourself, big but... man. Yeah, <laughs> not fully. We'll never fully grow up, Dan. That's uh, that's just the way it is. Um, thank you so much to Cameron Ramsey. No worries, JC. It's always good to talk up my arse after a nice Fulham win. So we'll carry on in the same vein and hopefully we can get one on Wednesday. Absolutely. And for more like that from Cam, uh, his five thoughts are on the Fulhamish website. And thank you very much to Ben Jarman. Thank you very much, Jack. Cheers for having me on. And it's nice to hear from Dan Crawford for the first time in a while. Couldn't agree more, man. Couldn't agree more. Uh, This has been the Fulhamish podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Jack Collins, and we will see you after the Burnley game on Thursday. You whites.